0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mushtar FM 89.6. Today, we have gossip, gossip, gossip.
1: Yeah, our favorite one about queer people. I mean, Russian queer people. See. And who is that voice? Oh, my God. Who are you? (laughs) I'm Victoria. Hi. I haven't recorded anything for quite a while, and it feels a little bit bizarre. (laughs) Well, welcome back, Victoria. Thank you.
0: So today, as always, we have... A really juicy topic. We're going to talk about a Russian poet, as you have mentioned. Her name was Marina Tsitaeva. Tsvitaeva. Whatever you say. Yeah. I'm so sorry for butchering Russian, like I'm really sorry. I'm I'm trying to learn, okay? But yeah, I won't say any Russian names if I don't have to.
1: I mean, after studying with Duolingo for a while, you're gonna know how to say, yeah, there is a snake in the taxi. There's
0: nothing more important than that. I mean, with that, you can go to Russia, I think, no? Yeah, of course, because we have
1: snakes everywhere, especially in
0: the taxi. (laughs) Yes, of course. So, yeah, we're going to talk about Marina. And as I've said, she was a Russian poet, and her work is considered among some of the greatest in the 20th century Russian literature.
1: But her personality, it is quite, quite tricky, because she was, to put it quite, a very passionate person. So we have so much juice about her and hopefully you're going to
0: enjoy it too. Exactly. So I'm going to mention a little bit of her earlier life, like she did before she got married. Like she got married pretty young, so her life before that was not that long. But what you need to know basically is that she was born in Moscow and her father was Ivan Vladimirovich, something like that. Yeah. Sure. And he was a professor of fine arts at the University of Moscow. And her mother was, I believe, like Polish or from the Polish aristocracy. And... She didn't want Marina to be a poet at first, because I believe that Marina wanted to become a poet when she was pretty young, I believe like six or seven years old. But her mother, Maria, she wanted her to be a musician. She wanted her to be a pianist.
1: I think if I'm not mistaken, Marina started writing poetry at the age of even three or four. Okay. So even
0: younger. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Of course, (laughs) it is not something elaborate, but something simple, yeah, but she developed a great passion for poetry when she was a little kid, that's for sure. And also, we need to mention that the whole family was pretty intelligent, and Marina had a few siblings, and they were all quite fond of reading and poetry, music, so they were pretty intelligent. But the downside, maybe, is that their parents and mother in particular were pretty cold and distant. Father was quite busy with his own work and um, he was working on opening the museum, which was particularly important back then. Yeah, and the mother, she was just, yeah, distant in general. I don't think there was a particular reason for that, but it affected kids and. Marina, greatly.
0: We'll see how exactly it will happen a little bit later. But first, we have to talk about her marriage, because I think it's the main part of her life, because she spent most of her years married
1: to this man. Yeah, and as we've mentioned before, she was a pretty passionate person and love was one of the central topics that she was writing about. There are more than 20 poems, I think, that are devoted to her husband. And I must say that their story was quite romantic and a little bit surreal, maybe, at least in the beginning. They met each other when they were pretty young. She was 18 and he was 17, one year younger. His name was Sergei Efron. And they met each other in a small village in Crimea, which was called Kartibel. And once Marina was talking to her friend and she said that she would marry a person who would bring her her favorite stone, which was carnelian. And Sergei found out about that, and uh, so he found the stone, and she was just blown away. Yeah, they fell in love with each other quite quickly, and their love was passionate, so they decided to get married, but they had to wait till Sergey turned 18. So yeah, they got married, and everything was perfect in the beginning, as it usually is Yeah, there is harmony and you don't see any, you know, personality traits that you don't actually like. She was over the moon. In her diaries and in her poems, she was writing that he was the only one and that their marriage was made in heaven. And she was his wife, not only on paper, but you know, You got it, right? (laughs) Yes, I got it. A very romantic concept. A very romantic concept. But yeah, as you've just said, it is just a concept. Because after a while, Marina started cheating on him, which was absolutely devastating for him. But he was a loyal person and he was trying to save the marriage. And I also need to mention that um, after a year, their first daughter was born, Adriana. Yeah. And um, so she started having a lot of affairs, and not only with men, but with women as well.
0: Exactly. Like, I think the most famous of her affairs was with Sofia Parnok, who is also, well, was also a Russian poet. She was also a journalist, a translator. And from the age of six, she wrote poetry in a style quite distinct from the predominant poets of her time, revealing instead her own sense of Russianness, Jewish identity, because she was also Jewish, and lesbianism, because she was a raging lesbian, because... Besides her literary work, she worked as a journalist under the pen name of Andrei Polyanin. She has been referred to as Russian's Sappho, as she wrote openly about her seven lesbian relationships.
1: But what does it mean, Russia's Sappho?
0: To me, that's a cultural shock because nobody in Russia seems to know who Sappho is. But well, I will explain it to you.
1: Maybe, maybe I'm just literate and uh, I'm not that intelligent to know who she is or who she was.
0: I don't know. Maybe you just haven't studied it, which is fine. Sappho was a Greek poet. She was born around 615 before Christ to an aristocratic family on the Greek island of Lesbos. Little remains of her work, and these fragments suggest that she was gay. And that is why the name, her name, inspired the terms Suffolk. Suffolk means a woman who likes women. And lesbian, you know what lesbian is, because it's the same thing. And that's why these terms were coined, because of
1: Sappho. Wow, thank you so much. Now I feel that my brain is getting all the knowledge. Yeah. Next time, I'm going to be like, yeah, she was Russia's Sappho. Okay, so now we know what or who Sappho was. And also Sophia. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I need the juice. Give me the juice.
0: Okay, so basically Marina revealed that she always had an attraction to her own sex from childhood. It's not something that she found out when she met Sofia. And you can see that both in her reading and in her relationships with other children. She tells the story of her childhood love for another girl in her prose work, The House at Old Pimen. Despite her attraction to women, though, or perhaps in an effort to neutralize the anxiety they clearly caused her, she married young and immediately had a daughter. We don't know if that's because she had these inclinations or because she, I mean, you have talked about her love for Ephron, so maybe it was actually because she loved him and not because of the anxiety, but I guess we will never know. So, Sofia, again. Sofia and Marina met in 1914 at one of the literary salons hosted by Adelaide Gersick, and they fell in love at first sight. That's what has been said. It was a passionate affair, but it was the point where the work of both flourished. In Marina, for example, she wrote the lyrical cycle Girlfriend between 1914 and 1915, and it is said to be a masterpiece of lesbian love poetry, and it was only published in 1970s, and it has not yet been translated into English entirely. Around the same time, Parnock read and later rewrote some of the works of the Greek poet Sappho. As I've mentioned, it's not just because her work looks like Sappho, it's because she also translated and rewrote them. By October of that year, Marina had committed to the affair, disregarding her obligations to her husband and daughter by writing her first love poem to Parnock. Prior to the affair, Parnock's poetry had not shown the originality of expression that her later works would evidence. Each of the both women drove the other to excel, revealing that Parnock had the upper hand in love, while Marina was more refined poet. On a personal level, Marina was both attracted and repelled by Parnok's passion, increasing her feelings of insecurity. And on a professional level, both were surprised at the depth of their own jealousy, channeling their envy into a creative duel of words. So they were both jealous of each other's work. Although both Parnok and Tatsiava predicted that their love was doomed almost from the start, Marina was traumatized by their breakup in early 1916, and she called the loss of Parnok the first catastrophe of her young life and nurtured vengeful feelings against Parnok until the end of her life. So wow. pretty intense.
1: <laughs> yeah, but how long were they together, do you know? Two years. Two years, yeah. And just imagine her husband trying to save the marriage while she is having an affair with a woman for two years. And if I'm not mistaken, after these two years, Marina couldn't keep it like that anymore. I mean, being married and also having affairs. So she decided to split up with her husband, but not in the sense of getting divorced, but just living separately because they did not get divorced. But I guess that there were more lovers during that period. Yes,
0: exactly. I don't know why this woman was just like having so many lovers. (laughs) Like, there are too many. One of them was the poet Osip Mandelstam. And we know that she had an affair with him because she celebrated this affair in a collection of poems called Mileposts. So there is clear evidence on paper that this affair happened. And also in 1918 till 1920, she worked with an avant-garde Moscow theater group. And she met an actress called Sonia Holiday. That was her stage name.
1: Okay, I think that it happened when she reunited with her husband, but he went to war. So she was having an affair with a woman while her husband was at war.
0: Exactly, yes. So while her husband was at war, she was having an affair with this woman, and it was said to be intensely erotic love affair. (laughs) And she actually also wrote prose work called The Tale of Soneczka, and in a cycle of lyrics, poems to Soneczka. And I quote, she wrote, I loved her more than anyone in the world. (laughs) this woman
1: yeah like she she was amazing i'm so confused was that her husband or any other human being because uh in her poems she says that oh yeah i love him i love her i love everyone which makes me question (laughs) whether she ever loved anyone
0: yeah her husband or her kids like it's funny
1: yeah I don't know, just uh, looking at the intensity of her life, I'm not even sure that everything that she was experiencing in terms of emotions was like really real. I feel like that she took something and kind of exaggerated it to an extent that it was not real anymore. And it was, yeah, I am in my head, I'm suffering and this love is killing me. But I don't know, like... I wouldn't say that I am a fan of poetry to begin with, but I used to study her poetry at university for a bit. It just was a short course on literature. And even without knowing much about her biography, I felt something, you know, insincere in her works, that it was like too dramatic and too, like, not really genuine. But this is just my perception. I don't know. I'm not sure that she was sane, you know. But these are just my thoughts. It is not scientifically proven, (laughs) so to say.
0: I mean, this is the gossip show. It's supposed to be juicy, not scientific.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's supposed to be, like, a little bit of truth here and there, maybe. Sometimes. Yeah, Sometimes. sometimes. So, yeah, Vika,
0: you have told me before we started recording that you have juice because she also had affairs with people close to her husband. Oh, yeah. So, what can yeah. you tell me about that?
1: So, there is a gossip. I don't know if it's true or not, but it is said that she had an affair with her husband's brother. Wow. I am in shock with my Russian accent. Just how? <laughs> but the most baffling thing is why her husband decided to stay by her side.
0: Maybe he was really in love or because of, you know, people were more conservative back then. So maybe they didn't think they could get divorced. So he was just like, I'm just going to stay with him.
1: I don't think that was the case because both of them were kind of attached to each other, but in a sort of wicked way. You know, when the relationship is dysfunctional, but you're still like clinging on it. So I don't know. I was I feel really sad for him. I think that he had to go through a lot of hardships. I mean, not only in terms of love, but in terms of life in general, you know, the war. And then he went back to the USSR, where he was imprisoned and then killed. Yeah, his whole life was really tragic. I mean, the the whole family faced a tragic ending, but that's a different story.
0: Yeah, but don't get too ahead of yourself because we have another affair that you haven't mentioned and it is to make matters worse. Actually, another friend of her husband's
1: Oh yeah, right. So when they got back together in 1920, if I'm not mistaken, so he was in Prague, and that's when he contacted her. Like he sent her a letter saying that his life and that he also wants to like get back together. And that's when <laughs> she started an affair with his uh, military comrade, Konstantin Lezieevich. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing his uh, surname. Now you're doing it in your Russian? What is this? I mean, I think that it is a Polish surname. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Because the way it is written it looks Polish. So yeah, it, he was a military officer and like their affair was widely known. So people were aware of it and just... <laughs> poor Sergei and yeah of course he was devastated and at that point he was like okay enough is enough I think we should get divorced and Tsvitaeva had to make a decision and after her passionate crying and fighting with her own demons yeah she decided to stay with her husband yeah she ended an affair with uh, this military officer and yeah they got back together but but there is one juicy juice that I think you should know. So, when they got back together in 1920, after a while, her son was born, Georgi or Mur. And there are some doubts that he was actually a France son. Because he himself did not recognize his own kid. He was like, well, he doesn't look like me at all. So some people thought that uh, actually he was someone else's <laughs> son. Ooh, juicy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's true or not but maybe it was this officer's son. But talking about kids, I think that this is one of the worst parts of her life, I think, and her personality as well. So as I've mentioned before, she had a daughter, Adriana, but she also had a second daughter, Irina, and she was Ephron's daughter for sure. So when they were little and uh, when the husband left for work, pretty difficult times began. There was no food, there was no job, I think. But again, she was from a distinguished society, so to say. So she didn't really want to work as a peasant, let's say. So yeah, she didn't really know what to do. She was alone, no husband, no one else. She had two kids. So at some point, uh, she decided to put them in the orphanage. And okay, I might understand that. Like the times are difficult and uh, you think that maybe this is a better option for your kids. But the problem is that she didn't really visit them. She got a lot of letters from her elder daughter. And she was saying that she missed her so much and stuff. And then she learned that there was no food in the orphanage and that the kids were basically starving and she oh wow wow decided to visit them for the first time and even though she was uh, quite affectionate towards her elder daughter she basically hated her younger daughter and what you should know about Irina she was a pretty weak kid I mean uh, physically she was ill and Marina thought of her as a hindrance you know a burden because well look at me I'm a great poet and I cannot have such a kid And even before putting her into the orphanage, she was particularly distant and sometimes even strange. I mean, she acted strangely. Uh, Whenever someone visited their house, she didn't tell anyone about having a kid. So people didn't even know that she had a younger daughter. And in her own diaries, she made a pretty, like, poisonous comments, I'd say, about her daughter. That she was not bright and that she didn't like being with her. And she was worshipping her elder daughter, basically. Okay, so she didn't love her younger daughter. And I mean, maybe that happens. Sometimes you give birth and you understand that you don't have this connection to your kid, right? But it does not justify that you just leave them be, kind of. Yeah, so at some point when they were in the orphanage, they got sick pretty badly. But the thing is that Marina took the elder daughter home, but she left Irina in the orphanage. And she was, I think, three years old. And of course, no one took care of her. And yeah, she ended up dying there, like being all alone and uh, abandoned. But the thing is that the husband's sisters were insisting on taking her back. They were willing to take care of her. But I don't know why, like Marina was a pretty proud person and she didn't want people to think that, you know, she couldn't raise her own kids, nor did she want people to know that her younger daughter was defective, so to say. So I cannot wrap my head around it. Like, how could she leave her die there? Even though there were many options, you know, I think that she could have saved her, but she just didn't want to. And when the girl was buried, she didn't even come. I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Yeah, she didn't even come to say goodbye or to do anything. And in her diary, she wrote, yeah, I let my kid die. Yes, it is awful. But I didn't come not because I didn't want to, but just because I couldn't. And I'm like, no. But
0: then I also read that she was like, oh, no, God is punishing me for taking away my child. So I don't really know. I
1: think that she was just way too dramatic. Probably. Probably. Yeah. And I've read a lot of comments and like articles, well, you cannot judge her because, uh, well, it was difficult times and, well, you don't know what you would have done and blah, blah. But I told you that my mother's story is pretty much similar to Marina's. When the USSR collapsed, There was no money, no job, nothing. My mother had two kids, no husband. I mean, my father was alive, but he didn't care about us at all. He didn't help financially at all. But my mother was responsible for us. And of course, she could have put us in the orphanage. Yeah, that would have been the easiest option. But she fought for us. She worked for like nine months at sea without having her own life so i believe that it is always a matter of choice because it's always been difficult to live i think there are no perfect times when everyone is flourishing no so she chose to let her die that's that's what i think and after that, I cannot read her poetry and be like, oh, well, wow, she is so great. While, like, you know that she did that to her kid. Because, as you know, for me, the author and their works are not distinguishable. No, it is one.
0: But also, as you know, she adored her youngest, her baby boy, Mur. So it was a very different relationship. But I didn't know that also you told me before that her son didn't care about her.
1: Yeah, he did not. And maybe the reason why she didn't really love her daughters. I mean, she loved the elder daughter, but because she was a genius. So Adriana was like really intelligent and she also wrote poetry from the very young age. But she wanted to have a son. So that's why when she got pregnant with her Mur, she was uh, happy and she was a little bit obsessed with him. And maybe that's the reason why he didn't really like being around her. He felt uncomfortable because she was choking him with his love that was on the verge of, you know, obsession. And uh, he also wrote in his diaries that she was a little bit out of this world. I guess that's why he felt uncomfortable because she was somewhere else. She was not in, you know, the present moment. Yeah, he was particularly cold. And uh, one interesting fact, he didn't address her as mother. He addressed her by her full name. I guess that there was no... (laughs) Much of affection, if you address your parent by their name. I guess so, yeah. But his life was also quite tragic. He died at the age of 19 at war. And uh, her daughter, Adriana, when she went back to the USSR, she was uh, in prison as well. And she spent, uh, I guess, 15 years in camps. And she died there. And uh, her husband, Efron, yeah, he was killed. After being imprisoned as well. And she... Committed suicide. <laughs> wow. Well, that's actually not funny, but quite peculiar that every single person that we talk about ended up committing suicide.
0: I mean, not really. I think Tolstoy died because he caught uh, pneumonia yeah, yeah, or something Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. That. Okay, yeah. But also because he was stubborn and was like, no, I'm leaving home.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm leaving home, home and whatever. I'm dying, whatever. I'm not going back there. No, no, no. Thank you. <laughs>
0: But I mean, yeah, Marina, because of what happened to her husband and what happened to her children. Yeah, she basically fell into depression. You have been talking about her mental health.
1: Yeah, but uh, her husband died after her. Ah, After her. Okay. Yeah, after her. So and just
0: arrested when yeah, he was arrested. He
1: was arrested and her daughter was arrested and her son was also alive back then.
0: Okay, so then she just fell into depression because of their arrestment, is what I've been reading. And it is said that she, well, Vicky, you and me have read the synopsis of The Death of a Poet, The Last Days of Marina. Pronounce the last name, please. (laughs) thank you, by Irma Kudrova, because she wrote about her last days. And she says that Marina made desperate attempts to find work that would support herself and her son. But eventually she just hung herself. And she says that it was because of mental illness. But I think you have a conspiracy about this, which I always love.
1: Hmm. So whenever it comes to conspiracy theories that are related to Russian uh, poets or whoever, it is always about the government. And there is a conspiracy theory that she hanged herself because she feared recruitment by the NKVD that was like a spy organization. But I think that it's not true. like who needs her <laughs> as a spy? <laughs> and she was forty eight she was she old. was uh, forty eight, <laughs> yeah, like the best spy ever. Yeah, and also Marina's sister, Anastasia, insistent that the poet killed herself in order to save Mur. To me, it sounds kind of insane. Like, how? How are you going to save a kid by hanging yourself? Well, maybe there were other reasons that, I don't know, if she, you know, okay, I'm going to hang myself and my kid is going to be great. I don't know if anything. But. Yeah, and as you've mentioned, it is sad that she suffered from mental illness. And I think that's the case, more or less. And um, there is an interesting fact about her suicide. So not long before her committing suicide, she was given a rope by her friend, also a pretty famous poet. And he told her that the rope was so strong that it was really good for like hanging yourself.
0: But it's a joke, right?
1: <laughs> I guess it's a joke. I hope so. Yeah, so some people think that he kind of predicted her committing suicide, like hanging herself. I don't know. We will never know. So, Vicky, that was
0: all the juice that we have about Marina.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there is much more Jews, but we have only 30 minutes. (laughs) So if you're interested in her life, you can read her diaries and her poems as well, because um, most of them are translated into English. So you can find a lot. And if not, learn Russian. (laughs) It's always another choice.
0: So yeah, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are Mushtar FM on Facebook and on
1: Instagram. And see you next time with more Jews. Bye.